A teacher's union says that you cannot reopen schools unless you give guaranteed income and health benefits to illegal immigrants. Yeah, that's right. A teacher's union says you want to reopen schools. Well, you cannot do that until you give guaranteed benefits and income to illegals. What does that have to do with reopening schools? That's coming up. Elon Omar may be in trouble in her upcoming primary. Let's hope a federal judge has ordered President Trump to start accepting new applications for the DACA Dreamer program. President Trump, he rescinded DACA, as we know. President Trump, the Trump administration determined it's illegal. And the Supreme Court says it doesn't matter if it's illegal. You need to go through the right procedure. So they reinstated DACA. And now a judge says, well, you need to start uh, taking new applicants because Trump actually suspended taking new applications. This could mean hundreds of thousands of illegals will be allowed to remain in the country. New illegals. Thanks to DACA, that judge was appointed by, yes, you guessed it, President Obama. No surprise there. Uh, Do you know we have 107 days left until the November election? Can you believe we're that close? It does not feel like we're that close. The the campaigns, of course, have been toned down. Uh, Joe Biden is holed up in his basement, safely uh, away from the public, getting as little exposure as possible, always able to stay on prompter and on script. And uh, that's one of the best things that ever happened to Joe Biden is the fact that he gets to be in his basement and uh, avoid uh, having to actually go out there and make blunders. President Trump was interviewed on Fox News Sunday today, interviewed by Chris Wallace, and this is truly amazing. I've, I'm going to play you some clips. I've never seen anything like this in my life, where Trump exposed, you had Chris Wallace actually literally reporting fake news. Chris Wallace asked Trump a question, and he quoted bogus numbers, coronavirus numbers, which were literally bogus. Trump called him out on it, and Wallace basically admitted that these numbers were wrong. All right, it wasn't exactly, he didn't exactly admit it, but he came as close as anybody ever will. I, I've never heard anything like this, where he, you're going to hear, I'm going to play you this clip, and you're going to hear Chris Wallace say, well, okay, it's a little bit complicated, but bear with us, and that is the biggest admission you'll ever hear. I've never seen anything like this, where in the middle of the interview, the person being interviewed, the politician, calls out the journalist for reporting fake numbers, and the journalist is basically forced to admit that they were wrong. So here's that clip. But, sir, we have the seventh highest mortality rate in the world. Our mortality rate is higher than Brazil. It's higher than Russia. But when you talk about mortality rates, I think it's the opposite. I think we have one of the lowest mortality rates in the world. Well, we're going to take a look. We had 900 deaths on a single day this week. Ready? I, you, you can Could check you it out. please get me the mortality rate? Yeah. Kaylee's right here. I heard we have one of the lowest, maybe the lowest mortality I, rate anywhere in the world. You have the numbers, please? <laughs> because I heard we had the best mortality rate. Number number one low mortality rate. I hope you show the scenario because it shows what fake news is all about. Okay, okay go I don't ahead. think I'm fake news, but okay. I will, we'll put well, our there you are. we'll put our stats. You on. said we had the worst mortality rate in the world, I and said we have you the had best. The all right, it's a little complicated, rate. but bear with us. We went with numbers from Johns Hopkins University, which charted the mortality rate for 20 countries hit by the virus. The U.S. ranked seventh, better than the United Kingdom, but worse than Brazil and Russia. The White House went with this chart from the European CDC, which shows Italy and Spain doing worse, but countries like Brazil and South Korea doing better. Other countries doing better, like Russia, aren't included in the White House chart. Yeah, so he literally says, listen, the number, okay, it's a little complicated, 
complicated, but bear with us. I mean, that is something you are never going to hear. Trump got him. So let me go through this here. The mortality rate, it's a false statistic. Mortality rate, it's a very misleading statistic because it's the rate of deaths per total cases. But the problem is they have no idea how many cases there really are because of the. it, it all depends on testing. There are so many asymptomatic cases. So comparing one country to the next in mortality rate, just right off the bat, it's just not the right metric to look at because there's really no way to know. The mortality rate with coronavirus has been all over the map and there are some estimates that the mortality rate from coronavirus is way lower than anybody thinks. And it's just a question of it's so contagious and there are so many people who have it without the symptoms that the mortality rate may be low, but still a lot of people die because just so many people get it. But the real issue here between the two was that Chris Wallace claimed, he says, listen, we were using the Johns Hopkins model and President Trump, the Trump, the White House, they were using the European CDC. And that's why we had this different essential difference. Essentially, Wallace says, well, the U.S. is the seventh, the seventh worst in the world in terms of mortality rate. And Trump says, no, it's not. And then Wallace says, well, we were using two different models. OK, it's a little complicated, but bear with us. It's not complicated at all. I looked at the model that Chris Wallace displayed there on the uh, in this interview, and it wasn't a model. It was a lie. When Wallace said seventh worst country in the world, even according to the Hopkins model, and bear with me here, that Chris Wallace was using, that is a lie because the, the Johns Hopkins model, it only lists 20 countries. It's comparing 20 countries. It's not trying to list every country in the world. All it's doing is it's taking 20 countries, almost a random arbitrary sampling, and it lists the United States as seventh in on that list of 20. It leaves off some countries that have terrible mortality rates. It le so so right then and there, it's le it's leaving off Spain, it's leaving off Italy, it's leaving off it's leaving off countries that are doing so much worse than the United States. So Chris Wallace, he said to Trump, you listen to the clip. He said the United States is the seventh worst in the world in terms of mortality rate. Trump says no, it's not, and Wallace says yes, it is. And let me show you the the, the Hopkins model. Where, see, U.S. is number seven, and then Trump calls him out. They bring over, Kayleigh McEnany brings over the CDC model, and it turns out that the United States is way, way, way higher. The United States has a much lower mortality rate than many other countries. And Wallace says, well, we were using the Hopkins model, and that leaves off a bunch of countries. No, the Hopkins model wasn't trying to say how many countries in the world. It was just U.S. was seventh out of those 20. It picked it picked. 20 random countries, I have no idea what basis Hopkins chose to use those countries, but it wasn't trying to make this exhaustive, comprehensive study. So when Chris Wallace said seventh in the world, he totally misconstrued the model, the Hopkins model that he was quoting. And then when he clarified it, his clarification was really a lie. There's no other way to say it. That list did not include some of the worst countries, including Italy, Spain, France, and China. And, and you know all those countries were hit very hard, and many, many, uh, many uh, countries on the list of the Hopkins model had countries that were not hit hard at all. So that's very clear. Then Wallace, he actually grilled President Trump on the number of cases, the number of confirmed cases in the United States. And President Trump gets saying, well, more testing. And this is the media. They have this narrative. They do this again and again. They talk about the number of confirmed cases. And as we keep explaining, the number of confirmed cases, it's, what's much more important is the rate of positive tests. That's much more important because that tells you a lot more. The number of confirmed cases, that increases, that might be due to more testing. But an increased rate in, in, in testing, in, in positive tests, that is something which is much more significant. Now, Wallace 
grilled President Trump on that too. But Trump kept saying, what about the death rate? Here's the problem. The, the number of coronavirus cases is important, but it's so, it, it, it's so easy to misconstrue. But the number of deaths, there are, there are much more important metrics that the media ignores. And isn't that, the, Trump at one point says to Chris Wallace, isn't deaths the thing that really matters? The thing we're really concerned about here. And look, obviously, if a person gets really sick and then survives, that's not a fun experience and they may have lasting long-term damage. But Chris Wallace kept insisting the number of cases, the number of cases, and Trump kept saying, well, look at the number of deaths and look at the testing that we're doing. And Wallace just, he wouldn't let up. And so at one point, Chris Wallace says, well, what about Europe? Europe doesn't have as many cases as the United States. And Trump said, because Europe isn't testing as much. So Chris Wallace said, well, maybe Europe doesn't have it as bad. That's what Chris Wallace said. And Trump said, no, that's not true. I'm going to prove to you. And again, this is the misleading narrative of the media. And this is what Trump calls fake news. I'm going to prove to you that many countries in Europe have it worse than the United States. Some of the, the countries that were hardest hit in Europe have it worse. Trump has done better and the United States has it better than many countries. And look, I've mentioned in the past that I think Trump could have done things better. I think any president would have messed up. But it's very simple. The number of deaths per one million people, any country, any state you look at, this is a metric which to me is so crucial and the media ignores the number of deaths per one million people because it actually shows you the concern is how many deaths are there going to be? What percentage of the population? That's a huge metric and much more important than the number of cases which the media focuses on because those cases can be asymptomatic. They can be young people. The media ignores that number. Why? Because it makes the U.S. look much better than the other numbers. Here, I'm going to give you an example. This is straight from Worldometers, which is you know one of the big websites with the data on the coronavirus. Here are the countries that all have more deaths per 1 million people than the United States. Belgium, the UK, Spain, Italy, France, Chile, Sweden. Okay, so countries that have been hit very hard in Europe. And Will Wallace is saying, well, maybe Europe hasn't been hit as bad. Belgium, the UK, Spain, Italy, France, Chile, and Sweden all have more deaths per 1 million people than the United States. And by the way, Iran and China we all know also have more deaths than the United States, far more deaths, but they report phony numbers. You know, China still officially only has 83,000 total confirmed cases. It's egregious. China, they get reported on these websites where they list the data for coronavirus, 83,000 total confirmed cases in China. You know that China has had millions and millions of cases. So the U.S. is actually better than many other countries in terms of deaths per, per population. And that is the most important metric by far. So think about that. And yet the Fake news media, they never touch that metric. They're always talking about confirmed cases because they know that Trump is doing a lot of testing and it drives up the confirmed cases. The U.S. is now Germany, Russia and Denmark. They have way lower deaths per one million people than the United States. So there are countries that are doing better than the United States. There's no question about that. And it's really hard to know exactly why. It might have to do with contact tracing. It might have to do who knows. There are a lot of factors which we still are not aware of. But here's the thing. You know, I, I mean, you know, three reasons that the number of cases really, again, it matters, but it, it's much less significant than other metrics. Let's say there were 200 million confirmed cases, just for argument's sake, hypothetical, but there are only six deaths. Would we care about the number of confirmed cases? No. So the number of ca cases is misleading. Now, the reasons are, number one, three reasons. Number one, because of more testing, they'll find asymptomatic cases. Number two, 
High-risk people are staying safer. So even if they have more confirmed cases, if they're younger people, healthier people, then it's not going to necessarily lead to more deaths. And number three, it could be the virus is weaker in some places than others. That seems to be the case because even the states that are doing really bad in terms of increased cases, they still don't have nearly as many deaths as New York and New Jersey did when they were at their peak. Part of that might have to do, of course, with the nursing home situation. All right, moving on to other news. A DOJ spokeswoman was asked about the John Durham probe today on Fox News, and she said, quote, this is Kerry Kupek, DOG spo- DOJ spokeswoman. She, she sort of maybe gave a timeline about the report, the John Durham report. She says, hopefully by the end of summer. That was a word, hopefully. If I hear the word hopefully one more time when talking about the Durham report or some IG report where they're going to expose the Obamagate corruption, I mean, can you just give me a date and stick with it? In private industry, this would not happen. Almost never. There are exceptions. But when a private company gives a date, when Apple says they're going to release a product, they almost always release the product. Yes, obviously there are times when things come up. But you can almost guarantee private companies, they do things on schedule. And when it's the government, it just drags on endlessly, hopefully. And and she also said, this is interesting, she said a report is not the ultimate goal. This is, again, Kerry Kupek on Fox News. She said, this is not about a report. This is a criminal investigation, which she's insinuating. And this is what we've been hoping for. And let, But again, until we see it, until we see an indictment, I'm just not, I refuse to believe it because I don't want to get my hopes up, my expectations too high. But this is what she said. She said, the ultimate goal is not a report. She said, this is a criminal investigation. In other words, they're looking for criminals. You, you don't write a report when you're a prosecutor trying to find out who committed crimes and uh, charge them with crimes and indict. You're, you're supposed to lead people away in handcuffs. So that is a promising piece of information. But again, what's the time frame on those indictments? Now, Mark Meadows, Trump chief of staff, he said this weekend that he expects indictments from John Durham. So that's pretty, pretty amazing what he said. He said the American people deserve indictments. Here's what Mark Meadows said, quote, I expect indictments. Lindsey Graham did a good job in getting that out. He's talking about evidence that he's seen. We know they not only knew that there wasn't a case, but they continued to investigate and spy. And yes, I use the word spy on Trump campaign officials and actually even doing things. When this president was sworn in and after that and doing it in an appropriate manner, you're going to see a couple of the documents come out in the coming days that will suggest not only was the campaign spied on, but the FBI did not act appropriately as they were investigating. It's all starting to unravel. And I tell you, it's time people go to jail and people are indicted. End quote. That is Mark Meadows. Now, some of the documents he may be referring to have already been declassified. A memo was declassified by Lindsey Lindsey Graham released it. We told you about this. This memo shows that the FBI knew all the way back in January of 2017, Trump's first week in office, and the FBI already knew that the Steele dossier was fabricated, and yet they continued to investigate Trump. They continued to wiretap the phone of Carter Page and get uh, renewals of the FISA warrant, and they, of course, eventually launched the Mueller probe. It was baseless. It was based on nothing. The only evidence they had was the Steele dossier. Andrew McCabe said under oath, if there is no Steele dossier, then there is no uh, warrant to spy on Carter Page, and yet they launched the Mueller probe, two years of misery and torture, millions of dollars spent based on it, and now we know they knew it back in January of 2017. What happened was the FBI did an interview with with Christopher Steele's primary subsource for the Steele dossier, and this is extremely damaging for Comey, McCabe, and the others because they concluded that the Steele dossier was essentially a bogus document. The source could not corroborate Pretty much anything of substance in the dossier, anything in the dossier that incriminated President Trump, 
The source could not corroborate, could not verify it. Basically, they had no way of, 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 of verifying. And this is when they realized, the FBI, that the Steele dossier was actually baseless. There, there, there was no evidence. It was based on nothing. And now, why did Steele do it? Because Steele was paid by the Hillary Clinton campaign, essentially, by Fusion GPS. It was opposition research for the Democrats. So they had to produce dirt. So they made it up. Here's an example. One of the most damaging Parts of the claim about President Trump, the source said, was rumor and speculation. This according to the newly declassified documents. He could not confirm the story. It was rumor and speculation. One of the most damaging parts of the dossier. And the uh, the, uh, the the subsource also said Russia's ability to blackmail Trump was a logical conclusion, not reporting. So one of the most damaging parts of the Steele dossier, uh, the, the, the first thing I mentioned, that was a different part of the dossier, which was which was supposed to be damaging to Trump, which was baseless, but rumor and speculation. But then this other part where they said that Russia was able to blackmail Trump, had 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 information about Trump they were using to blackmail him, which of course is very dangerous for a U.S. president. He said that was logical conclusion, but it wasn't reporting. So it wasn't a fact. It was a, it was a lie. It was, it was a logical conclusion. In other words, they made it up. Um, so this means the FBI, they knew they had no right to, to spy on the Trump administration. I mean, the whole thing was just fabricated to delegitimize President Trump, uh, an op-ed in the Washington Examiner wonders why would Joe Biden be pandering to the far left right now after he won the primaries as a moderate. He run as, won as a moderate candidate and now he is shifting all the way to the left and pandering to Ocasio-Cortez with climate and all these other policies of his. Usually that goes the other way. Usually they pretend to be super radical or they act or maybe they really are super radical in the primaries and then they shift to the to the middle in the general. And look, you have to wonder, maybe this is going to come back to hurt Biden. But, you know, states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, they don't want a radical. So that's what this op-ed in the Washington Examiner wonders. It says that Biden has appointed Ocasio-Cortez to co-chair his climate panel, as we've told you. And now Biden is out with a revised climate plan, far to the left of what he proposed during the primary, much closer to the extremist Green New Deal. In the primaries, Biden ran on a climate plan that would have spent $1.7 trillion over a decade. His new plan would spend $2 trillion in the first four years. Previously, Biden uh, vowed that the private sector would be free of carbon emissions by 2050. Now he's moved that up to the year 2035, which is only five years after Ocasio's target of 2030. And the op-ed points out that the unrealistic goal of Biden of eliminating all carbon emissions by 2035 would um, actually just be totally unrealistic because uh, carbon-based power currently generates 62% of all energy in America. So Biden is proposing the elimination of 62% of the current energy sources in the United States right now in 15 years. In 15 years, Biden wants to eliminate nearly two-thirds of all the current energy sources in America. Think about that. It's insanity. And of course, it's totally not realistic. It's just he's, oh, he's just doing it. To, to try to pander to get the support of the socialists. The fracking boom has been a major boost to the economy, by the way, and has done more than anything to reduce carbon emissions, and yet Biden wants to eliminate it. Part of what Biden wants to eliminate is fracking, and fracking, according, again, to this op-ed, 
uh, in addition to boosting the economy, it has actually reduced carbon emissions. That's what's so amazing is they're actually very clean sources of energy that the radicals want to get rid of. So they actually want to get rid of fracking. Fracking is a much better option than a lot of other energy sources. But, you know, they view fracking, the left, they'll tell you fracking, that's a bad thing, that's harmful to the environment, even though it's much cleaner, as I said, than other sources that have been used in the past. So what they want to do is they want to replace that with these totally unrealistic sources like wind turbines and, you know, get rid of things like fracking, even though even they admit fracking is a good alternative, uh, you know, to, to carbon-based, to real carbon-based energy, or at least uh, something which produces a lot stronger carbon emissions. I'm going to play you another clip in a moment from that Fox News Sunday interview with Trump. Uh, first, let me tell you, Governor George Pataki, former governor of New York State, he has warned that the radical wing of the Democrat Party is controlling Joe Biden. And, and no, no, no shocker there. But, you know, we've been telling you this for quite some time. But Pataki, he's a pretty moderate. He's a Republican, but he's pretty moderate from New York State. And he told the New York Post, quote, I've been disappointed by the ability of leftists in the party like Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez to influence Biden in real significant ways. The Biden who was a moderate Democrat serving in Congress might not be the Biden who we would see as president, end quote, that's Pataki. And uh, Biden has teamed up. This is really what I wanted to mention. Teamed up with Bernie Sanders to create a unity task force that will push the Democrat platform even further to the left. So Biden actually signed a document along with Bernie Sanders, and this is an extremely radical document, and it essentially calls to defund the police. Now, Biden has hedged. He has said he doesn't want to defund the police, and there are a lot of people that claim that Biden does not want to defund the police. But listen to this. This unity task force, this this document that, that Biden signed with Bernie Sanders, it basically is espousing the policies of the defund the police movement. The platform would create, quote, civilian core of unarmed first responder, responders to handle 911 calls deemed nonviolent. It would make public colleges free for 80% of Americans. It would forgive federal student loan debt after 20 years. And it would promise to never cut, privatize, or weaken Social Security and uh, an additional 100 pages of other radical recommendations. But uh, again, a lot of these things are really radical and it exposes Biden because we've told you for quite some time that Biden is every bit as radical as Bernie Sanders. He just hides it. He tried to. Now he's not even hiding it. Um, so a civilian core of unarmed first responders to handle 911 calls that are nonviolent. So again, this is a this is a core element in the defund the police movement. They're going to make civ unarmed civilians, they're going to have them respond to 911 calls that they consider nonviolent. And some of those have the potential to be extremely violent. Now, in this clip that I'm about to play you, President Trump claimed that Biden wants to defund the police. Chris Wallace contradicted President Trump and Trump pulled out this agreement that Biden signed with Bernie Sanders. Here's the clip. There has been a spike in violent crime in America in recent weeks. We've seen deaths up in New York, deaths up in Chicago, shootings. How do you explain it and what are you going to do about it? I explain it very simply by saying they're Democrat run cities. They're liberally run. They're stupidly run. We have uh, forced them in Seattle to end the chop because, you know, we were going in that following day. You probably have heard it. We were getting ready to go in. We were all set. And when they heard that we were going, they set their police force. Liberal Democrats have been running cities in this country for decades. Poorly. Why is it so bad right now? Uh, they've run them poorly. It was always bad, but now it's gotten totally out of control. And it's really because they wanted to fund the police. And Biden wants to fund, to fund no, he, the police. Sir, he does not. 
Look, he signed a charter with Bernie Sanders. I will get that one, just like I was right on the mortality rate. Did you read the charter that he agreed to? It says to nothing about defunding the Oh, police. really? It says abolish. It says defund. Let's go. All right. Get, well, me, you, get me the charter, please. All right. Because you've got to start studying for these. He interviews. says defund the police. And so here, so again, we have this Chris Wallace claiming to fact check President Trump. President Trump calls him out on it. And they did bring out the document. And look, Chris Wallace claims, well, he doesn't want to defund the police. It doesn't say anywhere that he wants to defund the police. But we know what Trump was referring to. Trump was referring to the fact that Biden is using the exact same rhetoric. So he's going to sit here and tell us, I don't want to defund the police. No, defunding the police, that's a bad idea. And then he's going to sign this document with Bernie Sanders where they uh, have this civilian group of first responders who are unarmed to handle 911 calls that are deemed nonviolent. So that's definitely what Trump means. Now, I understand he, Trump could have said it a little bit differently, and that's fine. But, you know, don't act as though Joe Biden is just writing off the defund the police movement and exposing, calling them out for being extremist radicals. He's not. He's pandering to them, but he's just trying to hedge and say, but uh, yeah, I agree with this policy, that policy of yeah, civilians who are responding to 911 calls. Oh, but I don't want to defund the police. That would be crazy. All right. Elon Omar may be in big trouble, although I'm not going to hold my breath here. She's being challenged in the Democrat primary in Minnesota by a more moderate candidate. And what's interesting is there are conflicting polls on this, but this candidate has crushed Elon Omar in fundraising. So that's pretty astonishing and it's unheard of. It shows you how much of a radical Elon Omar is that this race is even so tight because usually the incumbent, and this is a very Democrat district, the incumbent usually wins hands down. Antone Melton Moe is his name, M-E-A-U-X is his last name, and he's a newcomer to politics. He raised $3.2 million in the second quarter. $3.2 million for a newcomer in a local congressional race. That's compared to $471,600 for Omar. And this Milton Moe, Milton Moe has $2 million in cash on hand. The primary is coming up on August 11th. Omar has $1.1 million in the bank. So he has $2 million. He has a million more than Elon Omar. And he's like a fundraising machine. And trust me, I don't think anybody's ever heard of him. The reason he's doing so well in fundraising, it's not that they're paying, they're, they're donating to his campaign. It's they're donating to oust uh, um, Elon Omar for the radical that she is. So there's an internal poll that was released by Omar's campaign which shows her leading by 37 points. And look, it's very possible this will be a runaway. That's what happened with Ocasio-Cortez. But there are people, Democrats in Minnesota, who say it's much closer than that. Former party chairman Mike Erlinson spoke with The Hill. He said that he saw two private polls that show Melton Moe is within striking distance of Elon Omar. So as I said, it's really unheard of, and it just speaks to how much of a vicious radical. She's more than a radical, Elon Omar. She's full of hatred and viciousness toward the United States, toward the Jews, toward Israel. And she's pro-terrorist. She supports and defends ISIS, literally. She downplayed 9-11, of course. She's a rabid anti-Semite. She said that Jews just buy political support of politicians. And not to mention, she just comes across as a very nasty and vicious person. And now she is supposedly panicking, according to a lot of reports. So as I said, primary coming up here in a few weeks. We'll keep an eye on that. Kevin McCarthy says, the Republican House minority leader, he says that... Um, he was fully behind President Trump's decision to commute the sentence of Roger Stone. This is interesting because it's more fake news. I confess that I actually bought into this fake news. Roger Stone bought into this fake news. But once again, we made a mistake. We should never, ever believe something that the media reports, especially if it's based on anonymous sources, unless it's corroborated. So Kevin McCarthy, what happened was Roger Stone in an interview, he said Kevin McCarthy expo uh, opposed 
his commutation, and that was based on probably a political report. Politico said that Kevin McCarthy on Air Force One uh, contradicted, or not contradicted Trump, but questioned Trump's desire to commute the sentence, and Kevin McCarthy opposed it. And um, speaking with reporters this weekend, McCarthy said, quote, I'm not sure what Stone is talking about. Yes, I support the president's commuting of the sentence. I think the president did the right thing. He has the right to do it. And if you ask the president, he has used the power much less than other presidents in the past, talking about pardons, considerably less than what the Democratic presidents used. That's Kevin McCarthy. So fake no news reported by Politico. What a surprise there. Teachers unions, they are so egregious. They're trying to exploit the coronavirus to impose their own leftist policies. We saw this with Democrats who released criminals from prison. They tried to grant illegals all sorts of rights that they shouldn't have. So many Democrat policies that have nothing to do with the coronavirus, but they're trying to push them through and say, well, coronavirus and exploit the crisis. As Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. So nothing, this could, I mean, this is so revealing when you listen to what the teachers unions are saying over here. They want to impose their own leftist policies because they say one teacher's union says that they will only uh, agree to reopen schools if illegals get government benefits. Can you explain that? A teacher's union in North Carolina, they're demanding benefits for illegal immigrants. They say it's going to lower the the cases of co- the number of cases of COVID-19 uh, if they reopen schools. This is the Durham Association of Ed- Educators in North Carolina. They called for universal health care and guaranteed income for all people, including illegals. So in this statement, the union said, quote, Trump, Betsy DeVos want schools to open because they care about protecting wealth and big business. So let's start right there. End quote. Uh, excuse me? That's why Trump, that's why the Republicans want schools to reopen. And that's right there is egregious for these teachers not to recognize how crucial it is for schools to reopen for the mental health of these kids. I mean, not to mention, obviously, we want people to go back to work. I guess that's what they're referring to. You, you, I mean, how disgraceful that um, they're claiming that Trump wants to reopen and Betsy DeVos, the the, the, the education secretary wants to reopen uh, schools not to protect children. By the way, the, the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is pretty liberal, they actually came out in support of reopening the schools. But it's about protecting wealth and big business. I mean, it's despicable. Then back to this quote, there are concrete policies that have permitted other countries to flatten the curve. Moratoriums on rent and mortgage, universal health care, direct income support, regardless of immigration status, end quote. So universal health care and guaranteed income for illegals. I mean, that's what they're saying. And somehow that's going to help flatten the curve. I mean, come on. And the media like reports this with a straight face. I mean, it really is just totally disgraceful. And they're not the only ones. The United Teachers Los Angeles Union, union with 35,000 members in L.A., this massive union, teachers union in L.A., uh, the UTLA, United Teachers Los Angeles, they are insisting that the schools cannot reopen until, listen to this, until charter schools are closed, local police are defunded, the wealthy are taxed more, there's Medicare for all, and the district is bailed out by the federal government. By the way, I believe this story was in Daily Wire. For those of you who are, wonder, those of you who are wondering, that's Ben Shapiro's website. Those of you wondering what the source is over here. Uh, so they're saying, you want to reopen schools? Well, first, you need to close down charter schools, defund the police, tax the wealthy more, uh, medic- in- impose Medicare for all, and bail out the district using federal government money. What does defunding the police have to do with the coronavirus? What about charter schools? I mean, that just exposes it right then and there. Charter schools, you, teachers unions despise charter schools because charter schools, essentially, they, they, they allow schools to actually force teachers 
to be accountable and to give students a good education and not just be have their jobs just automatically protected because their union is so strong that they're just guaranteed no matter how poorly they perform these teachers they know they're basically never going to get fired teachers have better job security than anybody on the planet because of these unions and charter schools are a big threat to them and uh, defunding the police what does that have to do with the coronavirus or any of these demands here's here's a quote from the utla president um cecily cruz quote it is time to take a stand against trump's dangerous anti-science agenda that puts the lives of our members our students and our families at risk Safety has to be the priority. We need to get this right for our communities, end quote. So Trump's anti-science agenda, which is backed, by the way, by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And what is Trump saying? He's saying these kids desperately need school, and he's a thousand percent right about that. I mean, it's just so egregious. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.